Hey guys, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you love the podcast, you can show your support via Patreon. Just head over to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted or follow the link under the contribute tab at wordsforgranted.com. Every little bit adds up, I promise. For just a buck or two a month, which is less than what you'd pay for a bad cup of coffee, you'll gain access to contributors-only bonus episodes. Not only that, but you also get to walk away knowing that you're helping to sustain the output of this independent show. I just released a new Patreon episode a few days ago, and if I may say so, I think it's the most interesting one yet. It's about zero plural animal words. You know, words like deer, sheep, and fish that have the same form in both the singular and the plural. The reason for this has something to do with Old English grammar and something to do with hunting. Here's a glimpse of what the contributors are listening to. When you combine the collective nature of hunting game with the lack of distinct plural forms for Old English neuter nouns, you can see how the word deer managed to resist adapting the standard S ending used for pluralization. You see, it had two separate linguistic forces unconsciously working to keep its singular and plural forms the same. So, if that sounds interesting to you, you know what to do. Thanks to Tim, Craig, Marianne, and editor Phantasma for their recent contributions. Also, thanks to Josh and Daisy for increasing their pre-existing contributions this month. Each of you is putting fuel into this podcast fire, so thank you very much. With that, let's get on to today's show. I think you're going to love it. If an English word ends in L-Y, then there's a good chance that that word is an adverb. Of course, there are adverbs that don't end in L-Y, and words that end in L-Y that aren't adverbs, but as a general rule of thumb, L-Y is the adverb-forming suffix in the English language. More specifically, it forms adverbs of manner, that is, adverbs that answer the questions how or to what extent. These L-Y adverbs of manner are usually formed with adjectives as their basis. For example, the adjective sad plus the suffix L-Y becomes the adverb sadly. The L-Y suffix is also sometimes used to form adjectives. Etymologically, the adjectival L-Y is actually identical to the adverbial L-Y, but in the case of adjectives, the suffix is serving a different grammatical function. Generally, these L-Y adjectives are formed with nouns as their basis. For example, the noun man plus the suffix L-Y becomes the adjective manly. Even though the adverbial L-Y in sadly and the adjectival L-Y in manly are technically the same suffix, I've entitled this episode the adverbial L-Y because there are many, many suffixes used to form adjectives in English while L-Y is the adverb-forming suffix in our language, as I've already said. For that reason, I'll be looking at the development of this suffix from an adverbial point of view. Over the course of this episode, we're going to look at the evolution of the L-Y suffix in parallel with the evolution of one of its closest cognates, the word like. 
In fact, the adverbial suffix ly literally was the word like at one point. It simply became a contraction over time, but unlike other English contractions, we don't mark it with an apostrophe, so its literal meaning has become opaque over time. Once you know that like and ly are two sides of the same etymological coin, it becomes such an obvious fact that you may wonder how you'd missed it in the first place. Consider the meaning of any adverb. Again, let's say sadly. Sadly just means sad-like. Or let's take madly. Madly just means mad-like. In fact, like is occasionally still used as an adverbial suffix when the adverb is based on a noun, as in words like childlike or lifelike. Most of these noun-based adverbs can also double as adjectives, which makes sense given the previously stated formula for building adjectives using ly. Some dialects of modern English, such as the Appalachian American dialect, still use like as an adverbial suffix in the place of ly quite frequently. So, now that we're aware of this connection between like and ly, Let's trace the origins of these two cognates as far back as we can. Naturally, this takes us back to Proto-Indo-European, that ancestral mother tongue mutually shared by the majority of major languages across Europe and Western Asia. Both like and ly ultimately come from the reconstructed Proto-Indo-European root word lig, which meant image, likeness, or similarity. By the time that word passed into Proto-Germanic, that is, the unrecorded mother tongue mutually shared by the Germanic languages, which includes English, that root word had become lika, and its meaning had evolved into something quite different. It meant body or corpse. At first, the semantic connection between image, likeness, or similarity and body or corpse may seem completely non-existent. But, as always, there is indeed a connection. To understand how this semantic evolution probably took place, let's take a look at the Proto-Germanic suffix likas, a word-forming element that developed directly out of the noun lika. Likas meant having the form of, or perhaps more literally, having the body of. Having the body of something, whether literally or by analogy, is a manner of likeness, or similarity. Whereas the noun lika was restricted to a sense of a physical body, this suffix likas, with its more abstract nature, preserved a closer semantic likeness to its original Proto-Indo-European source word, which <clears throat> meant likeness. Spoiler alert, this suffix is indeed the direct ancestor of the modern usage of the ly suffix, but we'll have to wait until later on in this episode to explore that development in greater detail. When the early Anglo-Saxons broke away from their West Germanic neighbors and migrated from mainland Europe to the British Isle, Old English emerged as a distinct language. Old English inherited several grammatical variations of this common Germanic word lika, and I want to take a general survey of them because I think their semantic diversity, but shared history, is pretty mind-blowing. At the end of this meandering detour, we indeed will arrive at the suffix ly. The most direct descendant of the Proto-Germanic word lika in Old English was the word leek, which still meant body or corpse. It lent itself to compounds such as leekberg, which meant cemetery, 
and leos, which meant incorporeal or bodiless. I think the connection between these words and body speaks for itself. Of course, today, all of the bodily cognates of like and the ly suffix have fallen out of usage in modern English, except for the dialectical word leech, which apparently still exists in parts of southern England today. This dialectical word leech means body or corpse, just like its old English predecessor. Previously, I had never heard of this term, but I asked around to some of my nerdy British friends, and apparently it has indeed survived in some obscure places. For example, a common architectural feature of medieval churches is the leech gate, a gated area with a roof that was used to protect corpses from the elements before they were buried. Furthermore, this sense of the word meaning corpse is purported to be the source of the term leech in the game Dungeons and Dragons. Now, I don't know this firsthand, and I certainly didn't know this previously, but in the game, leeches are zombie corpses that can cast magical spells. This is confirmed not only by the internet, but by other nerdy friends of mine. Thanks, guys, for helping out with the episode. Anyway, the next Old English cognate in this word family is the verb leikion, which meant to please someone. This word would eventually evolve into the verb sense of the word like in modern English, as in, I like Mary, but I don't like onions. You may be wondering, what's the connection between pleasing someone and a root word meaning body? The verb to like isn't our main focus, so I won't get too lost in the details, but Basically, linguists have suggested that pleasing someone is a way of conforming to their wishes. In an abstract sense, conformity is a way of fitting into a mold, a shape, or a body, even if these constructs aren't physical. It could also have evolved simply from a sense of literally pleasing the body. Today, to like doesn't mean to please someone else, but rather to please ourselves, So, the semantic focus of the word has shifted from the recipient of the verb to the agent of the verb. Next up, we have the Old English word yelik, which meant equal, alike, or similar. This grammatical form of the word is akin to the adjectival sense of the word like in modern English, as in, these apples are like those apples. Yelik is a compound word containing the base word lik and the prefix ye. Ye is a semantically elusive Old English prefix that could mean a million and a half different things, but in this case, it's a prefix denoting association or similarity. You could literally interpret it as meaning like body or similar body. Obviously, this initial ye prefix has eroded in modern English, both in general and in the specific context of the word like. This is probably due to the influence of Old Norse. As I've mentioned in the previous two episodes of this mini-series on grammar, Norse-speaking Vikings invaded and settled into large areas throughout the British Isle. For a more detailed account of this historical event, you can listen to episode 47 of this podcast. All we need to know for today's story is that Old Norse was a Germanic language and it was very similar, though not identical, to Old English. These two languages shared a lot of common words, though with slightly different pronunciations. An example of this can be found in the Old English word yelik and the Old Norse word liker. 
Both are derived from the same Proto-Germanic root word, and both meant equal, alike, or similar. However, it seems that the Norse version of the word without the prefix won out over time. The Norse version of the word also influenced the pronunciation of the modern word like in another way. Allow me to backtrack for a moment. Thus far, I've pronounced the Old English words leek, meaning body or corpse, and yelik, meaning alike, equal, or similar, with hard C sounds. However, the universality of these hard C pronunciations would only have been true during the earliest days of Old English. Toward the late Old English period, and certainly by the Middle English period, English speakers in Southern England had begun pronouncing the letter C as ch and sometimes sh. In the north of England, this shift in pronunciation never occurred. This is because, historically, much of the north had been controlled by Norse-speaking Vikings, and Old Norse retained the original Germanic hard K sound affiliated with the letter C. This has resulted in a handful of etymological doublets in modern English, the most famous of which is shirt and skirt. Technically, they're the same word, but shirt comes from a pronunciation from southern England, while skirt comes from a pronunciation from northern England. As you may have already figured out, this means that the Old English words leek and yelik were probably pronounced as leech and yelich in parts of southern England. Now that you know this, it should make sense that the survival of the dialectical word leech into modern English, that word that somehow made it into Dungeons and Dragons, traces its roots back to southern England. Today, we pronounce the word as like and not leich, so this hard K ending suggests that the modern form of the word has a closer affinity to the Norse version recorded in the north of England. And now, for our main feature the L-Y suffix. As I briefly mentioned earlier in this episode, the L-Y suffix is ultimately descended from the Proto-Germanic suffix likas, which, just as a refresher, meant having the form of, or having the body of. While modern English mainly uses the L-Y suffix to form adverbs, Proto-Germanic used the suffix likas to form adverbs and adjectives indiscriminately. The likas suffix is remarkable to me on several counts. I think it is one of the single best examples of the natural ingenuity of human language. As you well know by now, all of the cognates we've been discussing share a semantic heritage related to the physical body, though in modern English, we don't have a sense of this heritage because all of its original meaning has been lost to time. If you think about it, it's pretty nifty that this ultimate root word lika, meaning body, evolved into an adjectival form that could be used to compare two literal bodies. Again, in modern English, this feature is inherited by the adjectival use of the word like, as in, that apple is like this apple. That apple is a thing, aka a body, and this apple is a thing, also a body. The connection between the adjectival sense of like and a root word meaning body isn't necessarily obvious, but it's also not that mind-blowing. But the fact that a root word meaning body developed into a suffix that's used to denote a similarity between the adverbial form of a word, such as sadly, and a non-bodily, non-physical thing like an adjective, which in this case is the word sad, is to me definitely mind-blowing.
It's literally a metaphor that has been implemented into the grammatical structure of our language. The L-Y suffix poetically superimposes a body onto abstract things in the world that lack one. Sadly is literally sad-like. Sad-like is literally having the body of sad, if sad had a body. However, I've jumped the gun because technically we weren't talking about the L-Y suffix, but rather the Proto-Germanic suffix likas. However, likas functioned no differently than L-Y, so the same points can be made for both suffixes. Likas set the trend, and L-Y carries on the legacy. Now, historically, how did we get from likas to L-Y? In Old English, likas was shortened to leek, which, depending on both the time period and the region, also would have been pronounced as leech. Like the Proto-Germanic usage of likas, the Old English leek-leech suffix was applied just as frequently to adverbs as it was to adjectives. Many of the modern English adjectives that end in the ly suffix, such as manly, lively, and lovely, all date back to this grammatically more liberal usage of the suffix in Old English. Modern English also retained a few of these old ly adjectives whose base words have fallen out of usage. For example, ugly and early both contain the ly suffix, but we don't intuitively register the semantics of this because the base words uger, meaning dread, and er, meaning soon, are no longer around. In Middle English, the leek-leech suffix splintered off into even more variations of pronunciation and spelling. This had to do with the influence of French phonology on the pronunciation of English in the wake of the Norman French conquest of England. In my research, I've found a whopping 28 variations of this suffix, and there probably are a few more that I missed. I won't name all of them, but a handful include leche, leech, lee, lie, lique, loch, luch, and lika. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of consistency concerning the usage of any of these suffixes, even within the same regions of England, or for that matter, even within the same texts. In general, leech, lee, and lique appear most frequently. Like is actually the Middle English form of the word like, and it would have been transparently understood as such. If you're wondering why like has a long e sound, while like has a long i sound, this is a product of the Great Vowel Shift. For those who may not know, the Great Vowel Shift was a series of pronunciation changes that gradually affected the entire English language from the 14th century all the way through to the 18th century. The long E sound was once the domain of the letter I, so the Middle English like was actually spelled identically to its modern English descendant. However, after the vowel shift, the sound associated with the letter I became I. By early modern English, the ly suffix emerged as the dominant victor among all its variations. This may be due to the fact that it's the simplest of all the pronunciations, and as a linguistic rule, simpler pronunciations tend to win out over time. Not only did ly win out as the predominant form of the suffix, but at this time in history, it also was beginning to be applied to many new base words, in particular, non-Germanic words. 
As we've already discussed, the L-Y suffix has a distinctly Germanic linguistic heritage, and for centuries, it was mostly applied to exclusively Germanic words. So, words native to English itself, or borrowed from Old Norse. However, from roughly the start of the modern English period, it began to appear as part of words with French, Latin, and even Greek etymologies. Nowadays, in the 21st century, we can apply the L-Y suffix to literally any base word, and no one blinks an eye at it. However, we do have some adverbs of manner in modern English that have resisted adapting the suffix. Words like straight, high, low, fast, and hard, among others, are frequently used as adverbs, and none of them require the ly suffix. We call these kinds of adverbs flat adverbs. Coincidentally, the word flat is another flat adverb. I don't know why the particular words in this class of adverbs resisted standardization, but if I had to guess, it probably is because they're very basic words, and often the most basic building blocks of vocabulary tend to be fairly conservative over time. These flat adverbs preserve the older English convention by which the ly suffix served as a mere intensifier of the adverbial part of speech, not a distinct and necessary marker of it. For some of these traditionally flat adverbs, the ly suffix can be applied optionally. The sentences, he walked straight and he walked straightly, are technically both correct. Though honestly, he walked straight sounds more natural to me, even though the adverb straight lacks the ly suffix. In other cases, the addition of the ly suffix to flat adverbs is outright awkward and incorrect. Compare the sentences, the plane flies high, to the plane flies highly. That second sentence just doesn't fly. Okay, that's it for this one. But wait, if you are about to go, don't do it just yet. I want to take a moment to mention that I am interested in moving into live presentations of this podcast. Not live tapings, but lectures, presentations, etc., I think they could be informative, engaging, and fun for a wide variety of different audiences. So if you or someone you know work for a school, a nonprofit, or any organization that might be interested, please reach out to me at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Yet again, I'd like to remind you all that you can support the show on Patreon. That episode on zero plural animal words is ripe for the taking. But if that's not in your budget, you can still show your support by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast directory of choice. You can also tell a friend. I'm on Twitter at, at @wordsforgranted and Facebook as Words for Granted. And you can always email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at, yet again, wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Okay, have a great day, guys. I'll catch you next time here at Words for Granted. 